0: You are listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more information about this show, as well as the other show I do, How to Stand, visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com and subscribe to my newsletter at to k kpop interviews, album reviews, and more. Subscribing is free, but if you want to continue to support my work, feel free to donate. Click the Support the Show button on the homepage at 17karatkpop.weebly.com. Quick disclaimer before you listen to today's episode, I am really sorry if during the episode I say, traced, dashed. Basically, I was thinking about how to trace my theories from previous hyphen episodes to the new one, and so every time I tried to say, tamed, dashed, I had to correct myself when I said, traced, instead. They may not have been edited out, I may not have caught all of the times I messed that up, I apologize, hope you understand. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to 17 Karat K-pop. Because, long story short, there were a ton of technical difficulties, with my episode called N-101, I ended up breaking it up into four different episodes, so it might have sounded weird and disjointed, so allow me to officially make up for that with this new and improved guide to N-story. It's going to have a ton of new content in it. It's not a repeat of the last series of N-episodes brand new stuff, there will be a few moments that are reminiscent, of course, of the stories set up in N-101. Use them as a way to refresh your memory as I transition into talking about the new material. So here is, first up, my rereading of all of the N-hyphen intros, interludes, and outros so far like they are just one big, intriguing poem. We were desperate in our desire to transform. We believed that there lay dreams unknown, because every path is stained with tears. We keep our fists fiercely clenched, not knowing it to be a blessing or a curse. Lest we lose what we hold in our hands, blood-red moonlight blazes, unquenchable thirst flares with fury. The others look up to us in veneration, and we look upon them with envy. Why do we desire what we cannot acquire? Why must we walk along an endless line? At dawn, the sun rises to menace and bless our fleshly selves. With the rugged woods at our back, we greet the sun. It shines in our eyes, an azure life dwelling in breathlessness. We walk the long, drawn-out line that cuts across the vast land, because the world carved us on that line. On the line, where do our footprints step to? What sky spreads at the end of it? Even if the world that unfolds is not what we are given, to the unknown we run, carving sunrise, burning bright across the world. With our last step, we dance across this line, into a new world. Evening shadows fall, and it must follow as the night the day. We wait for our given days and sleep. What days may come as the sun must rise again? Days like a flipped carnival, where up is down, and down is up, and life is mixed with death and what we must survive. If I wake from dreamless sleep, may tomorrow begin like a dream. Passions and pleasures in selling hours of dross, here in the land of rebel powers, gloriously decorated, an invitation calls to us from the carnival of the dazzling night. So we beat on the door of this flipped world, brought here by fate. Whether the harvest feast of light, or a festival of blood, time harmonizes, laughs, and screams. Death, once dead, there's no dying then. So we gladly swallow time, like it's our last breath. A dizzying flicker, a light that blinds and deceives. From the great beyond, that voice rings out again. Come inside the castle, take everything. It's the riptide. Multiple dimensions wait for us. It might be a world where day and night coexist. The perfectly square mirror reveals a twisted scene. Then, when we wake at this tunnel's end, what vision awaits? My eyes are closed. No, they are open, but I can't see. The piercing light's so bright, I try to cover my eyes with the palms of my hands, but it's no use. Cold water slaps against my cheek, and for the first time, I see. The noonday sun that refuses shade and the midday sea that gives it all away is a welcome and a warning. Now we stand in front of the most fantastic island in the world. You can take anything you want, but nothing is free. The most precious things might be the things you have to give away. In order to get the treasure, we've either got to get through a brooding monster or a swirling tornado. Whatever we choose, we've got to run. What do you think? Arriving at a low hill after a long run, after I cool off in the wind, I thought I understand if I ran, but in the end, I didn't learn a thing. So, what is it I want? Is this correct? What should I do? What choice do I make? Who am I? And what do I mean when I say, me? Papers with unanswered questions, endlessly written, like the waves that ride the rhythm atop the sunset sea. For now, I will float away. Then, I will arrive somewhere else, another place. But where will that be? And that is where the story is left for now. We are going to be circling back to some of the stories I told you guys on the episode called Music and Mythology. So I would check that out if you haven't already for some context here. I talk about the fight that led to the Battle of Troy. It was super petty and ridiculous plus the wild story of the sirens hurting the sailors with their beauty. It's a whole thing. So anyway, once you have, this will make more sense. But I would like to make a clear distinction between the Iliad and the Odyssey, which tend to be conflated, addressed as one and the same, but they're very different takes on and chronologically distinct pieces of the story. In Greek mythology, the Iliad is the story of rescuing Queen Helen. Queen Helen's capture is what triggered the Trojan War. So the Iliad is about going somewhere, going to rescue her, whereas the Odyssey is about leaving, going back home, for what's called Nostros, Odysseus's homecoming. The story is about the fall of the city of Troy as a result of the war, not about rescue, but about war's consequences more and aftermath the 10 freaking years long journey back home after the Greek victory in the Trojan War. So it follows Odysseus's crew on their journey home. Remember the story of the sirens that I told you in Music and Mythology, because that is where this story now picks up moments where the siren story leaves. Then we have the story of Sila and Charybdis. These twins of sorts are connected in my mind to very very loosely obviously but the dynamics between snow miser and heat miser they're kind of opposites in that way but they live pretty close together they're on two sides of the body of water but within an arrows within shooting range of each other so basically if you visit heat miser you know snow miser is going to hear about it because you're in that area there's not much else up there and vice versa and it's kind of the place here because if you're a sailor crossing that body of water and you decide to take your chances with Sila instead of Charybdis, Charybdis is going to find out about it. By trying to avoid one of them you have to end up getting very close in proximity to the other one. So that is the stake here so when people use the figure of speech caught between Scylla and Charybdis they're referring to when you're in kind of a rock and a hard place. No good option, both are risky, so just pick one. So Charybdis is this giant swirling whirlpool, like the one referenced in And hyphens monologue. Scylla is a six-headed monster who eats people, for each of your six heads. So if you've got six sailors, you now have zero sailors if you cross her. One is eaten by each of her heads. She also has a tail, 12 tentacles, four eyes. She's basically Ursula on steroids. Funny little backstory there. Circe, back to the housewife antics here, was jealous of Sila's relationship with Gaucus because she wanted him to love her instead. So this bitter, jealous Circe put a potion into the sea, turning Sila into this hideous creature. There's another side story where Heracles actually ends up killing her. Then she's later revived by a different character. The point being, she has a lot more backstories and side stories related to her than Charybdis, I think. So I would pick her if you want more adventure, more nuance to your villain in the story. And this is what Circe advises to Odysseus. She says, okay, the luster of the two evils here is Scylla. Go that way. So he does, gets distracted for approximately 0.5 seconds, and that was all it took, and his crew members were eaten by her different heads. Quote, at the cavern's mouth, she bolted them down raw, screaming out, flinging their arms toward me, lost in that mortal struggle. Yes, I guess he made mere mortals beat his sailors, knowing this could happen to them. Way to go, boss. You know, maybe an ulterior motive for him not choosing Charybdis is because Charybdis is a whirlpool and Poseidon is the arch nemesis here. Poseidon controls the sea, so maybe it would feel too traumatizing to have the punishment be reminiscent of the kind of dark magic Poseidon might pull on him someday. Anyway, just a theory. We're not going to dive into a rundown of the entire Odyssey. I don't have all day. But some tidbits from that story I find particularly relevant. One is this passage, much have I suffered, labored long and hard by now in the waves and wars. Add this to the total. Bring the trial on. He's got a good attitude at least. Hey, I have to face life-threatening monsters, but it'll give me something to talk about. But he really does have this sense of karma, sense that he was meant to build up his character and deal with intense ordeals, pun intended, not have smooth sailing on his way home, so he can truly earn that homecoming. The second relevant piece here, Odysseus ended up losing a bunch of his riches to the ocean, but he's such a good storyteller. He's so captivating to King Alcinous. That Alison is basically compensates him by giving him riches equal to what he lost. Quote, what grace you give your words. You have told your story with all a singer's skill. Unquote. Third notable aspect of the story, it ends, spoiler alert, with Odysseus and Telemachus on this impulsive slaying spree. Kind of out of their minds, willy-nilly, losing it and killing people. We'll get back to that later. His whole thing is trying to tell a cinematic story, though. So that ending actually is less surprising than it might sound at first. It's like the whole thing was him putting on an act. After all, the story starts with, quote, Sing to me of the man, muse, the man of twists and turns. And don't forget, King Alcinous recognized Odysseus as someone really special because of the stories he told and the artful way he told them. Lastly, there is this side-story moment where Odysseus tricks a cyclops into thinking his name is Nobody, so that when this cyclops, Polyphemus, is dying, no one comes to help him, because he keeps saying, ah, nobody's killing me, because he thought his name was Nobody, and so all the other cyclops are, like, whistling and whatever, doo do doo doo do That story in itself is not necessarily what's key to remember. But just the fact that's kind of Odysseus' thing is being super sneaky, cunning, finding ways to make other people make fools out of themselves, be disgraced, look ridiculous, etc. And sometimes those consequences are lethal. We could have a whole other debate about psychoanalyzing Odysseus, but how he forgives himself for his actions, that's a subject for another day. Now let's talk about the brand new content. There were three main themes for the Dimension Dilemma album teaser videos. There was what was called the Odysseus version, the Charybdis version, and the Silo version. The Odysseus version of the teaser features the members just chilling and hanging out on the beach together, planting flags by the shoreline, just being goofy and kids. The Charybidus version is similar, dancing, goofing off, tossing a soccer ball around, Reminding me of their Let Me In video and other previous releases. The Sila version is dark and dramatic, and it has a ton of nods to symbols from previous releases. Candles and flames, this regal look, fancy settings, fancy dining table, wealth, coins, scenes that are all a blur, this wealthy and dizzying, disorienting, Gatsby-esque party setting which goes with the theme of the new intro, White Out. During their blackout era, I guess you could say, with the son drunk dazed, there was a lack of figurative and literal vision. Everything was a blur around them. And there was other symbolism having to do with darkness, a pitch black environment, like trying to run away from black smoke enveloping them, or hide from a black hole of sorts, or dealing with the mystery surrounding the dark woods. Now, the word used is whiteout, which refers to, quote, a blizzard that reduces visibilities to near zero, and, quote, a loss of color vision due to rapid acceleration, often before a loss of consciousness. That actually seems pretty thematically consistent with this blackout period, which is why I think they're ending the album with interlude question, and a literal question in a sense of I didn't learn anything yet, I didn't answer any of my own questions yet, makes total sense story-wise. The differences come in when watching this new music video and seeing where the separation is coming in from the drunk dazed era and the give-and-taken era. In previous n-hyphen title track music videos, the members literally poofed in and out of settings, ghostly presences, dark magic at work. They were in the danger zone and popping out of it with ease. They were crossing that line they always reference between worlds. This time, it seems like the line, rather than keep playing with that line and jumping to the other side of it and dancing over it back and forth, they are choosing consciously now to pick a side. They keep going back and forth between the sides. But it's a more conscious choice, and they have a greater understanding now in the story of where that line even is. And I say this because the new music video for Tamed, Dashed, for the most part, is very cheerful. A boarding school setting, the boys are dancing in the school gym, playing on the beach together, laughing and goofing off. The sun is out, it's a beautiful day, no bad omens. But... Those joyful moments are interspersed with moments where someone in a vampire escape type of look, like from the give and taken video, is back in that ominous woods. And when he tries to touch the footballer or whatever, something starts to happen to him. He starts to bruise on that arm that reached for it. So I think it's similar to what happened in a previous video when someone got curious, tried to cross a line, a literal line they were not supposed to, and then ended up permanently on the other side of the window, unable to rejoin the others inside the palace. I think it's a similar thing now, where a character who crossed over to the dark side sees all these potential opportunities to reinsert themselves into the other side, but they can't cross back over. They have these permanent stains that come with them wherever they go, marking them as from the dark side. The shorter version of what I'm saying, I think, is first of all that in past title track videos all the members kind of went back and forth from light to dark worlds this time the scenes with the dark vampire aesthetics and stuff are very separate from the happy-go-lucky scenes there's a clearer dividing line between their concepts the visual storytelling the other thing worth noting here is that the visual that goes with the intro whiteout monologue has a lot of underwater shots, and seems to be focused on the ocean and the beach. Seems like a possible nod to Charybdis, that raging whirlpool. So my thought is that if the intro whiteout video is a nod to Charybdis, maybe the similar settings and summary look of the tamed Dash video is another nod to Charybdis. So then the Silo reference is the dark woods, is the opposite. Where the monster thrives, but like in the Greek myth, it's important to remember that when you choose to go down this narrow path, you can try to focus solely on handling Charybdis, but you're inherently going to end up within shooting range of Scylla and vice versa. If you recall from the Enhyphen 101 series of episodes. I broke down the broad overarching themes of this group's work into four main categories and tied in literature connections. Some overt and hyphen has just flat out said, yep, we were very inspired by these Shakespeare sonnets. Others I'm speculating because the parallels seem hard to deny. The Great Gatsby, Hamlet, etc. Theme 1. Riches and royalty, wealth and power, greed, trying to find this world of riches. That's why before, in that monologue, that giant poem of sorts, in that whole recitation I gave, you'll find lines like, why do we desire what we cannot acquire? Come inside the castle, take everything. You can take anything you want, but nothing is free. The land of rebel powers. There's the regal wardrobe, the mansion settings, the coins, and other indications of wealth in the teaser videos. Obviously, the Gatsby aesthetic is there. Then there are the riches in another overtly referenced story, and in Hyphen's work, The Odyssey, because Odysseus lost his riches at sea. That ties in a Charybdis reference as well. The next big theme is asking questions and a sense of total uncertainty. You'll notice, throughout the intros, interludes, outros, etc., question upon question is asked, why must we walk along this line? What awaits us at the end of this journey? What do you think I should do? Who am I? And you can tell they are quite conflicted because of the constant use of contradictory phrases like, to menace and bless us, life mixed with death, Time harmonizes, laughs, and screams. My eyes are closed. No, wait, they're open, but I can't see. There are even some interesting contradictions in the past versus present tense use. Oftentimes, their intros, outros, etc. are written in present tense, but there's a lot of future tense there, too, about what they have to do eventually. They also took the line from Shakespeare, where he talks about carving, where he says carved, past tense, and they took it and changed it to carving, present tense. Then in this new interlude, question, the line is, I thought I understand if I ran. He's talking about running, past tense, and understand, present tense. A lot of this confusion about what the heck is going on involves the metaphor of sunlight. With all those lines about we greet the sun, it shines in our eyes, Carving sunrise, a dizzying flicker, a light that blinds and deceives. In this new intro, the piercing light so bright. And this all ties into one of the sonnets from Shakespeare that they took from. They confirmed to have been inspired by. Sonnet 148 is all about the sun itself sees not till heaven clears. Sonnet 148 uses the metaphor of the sun blinding him to how love seems to cloud his judgment and a sense of the truth. The sun blinds him from answering his questions about where he is and what's going on. Quote, the sun itself sees not till heaven clears. O cunning love, with tears thou keepest me blind, lest eyes well-seeing thy foul faults should find. What helps keep up the spectacle, this sense of perfection, riches beyond belief in this dizzying carnival of ecstasy and excess? The sun is viewed as this blinding metaphor that helps prevent you from peeling back the curtain and finding the faults. Finding what is going on, what is truly happening, internally and externally. Now, the seemingly just fun and playful new music video for Tamed-Dashed takes on a whole new level of meaning, because those sunny scenes are helping the members block out those dark scenes with the bruising, with blood, all of the previous symbolic woes. They've danced across that line into the magical, well-filled world, and they are left feeling confused and dazed because the sun, and all things symbolized by it, have blocked their judgment. Since the teaser videos show Charybdis as being the wealth-filled, symbolism-filled world, in contrast to the Sila version of the teaser, which had the light and fun, cute, goofing off on the beach scenes, and Enhyphen's videos, so far for the most part, lean more in the direction of Charybdis. It's an interesting contrast That there are so many references to, lean in the direction of Syla. So while Enhyphen's music videos, the symbolism, the darkness, the wealth, the temptation, is all represented by and summarized in the teaser video, the Charybdis version, but the new music video has more in common with the teaser video for this comeback, the Syla version. And that's also interesting because Charybdis, the whirlpool, comes to mind because there are a ton of references to water, the ocean, the sea, in this work. With the Riptide reference, now they reference the midday sea floating away to start anew. There are also sea references in Gatsby and Hamlet that we talked about before. They're ready to metaphorically float away and choose a new path, because Silo was not what they thought it was. So wealth and royalty... Temptations of struggling to distinguish contrasting topics, get clarity, ocean references. Those are some of the main concepts addressed through Enhyphen's work that you ought to keep in mind. My current theory about the direction of Enhyphen's music video universe is that it's at an interesting crossroads moment with still a long way to go. So I see this new tamed dashed video as being a critical part of the story and not just a sunny detour. It shows that the members are distinguishing and sorting out the differences on both sides of the line between these two worlds. But they still have a long way to go in terms of finding the strength within them to defeat the sinful world, to overcome temptations. They still have to find a lot of clarity They may understand the distinctions between the two worlds now, but without the clarity needed to truly cross over away from the sinful world and to know how to do that even. It is no good to categorize and compare and contrast their two options if they don't also keep a clear head about it. Think about this with the most alert mind possible. They keep getting their judgment clouded, getting distracted by so many attention-grabbing elements of both sides. So they're making a slow and steady progress to creating that ideal future they fantasize about. But they still have a long way to go to realize they can't keep creating this hypothetical future without stopping to ask themselves basic questions, like, what are we doing? Where does this take us? Let's really consider. Sila or Charybdis, what route should we take? Let's really think this through now. So my ultimate prediction is that this story has a long way to go, in that whenever there is a new music video from them, it will nod to, in ways big and or small, that darker world, with the vampires, the fangs, all the blood, all the stuff in their previous videos we have already talked about. Those dark thoughts will keep coming back. And if those become the dominant scene again, and it becomes this dark and dizzying carnival, as they describe it, if they return to the darker scenery, I think that will be a flashback, or at least something that happened earlier in the chronology than the release date would suggest. Remember, there were some nods to a previous life pre-vampire status in the Give and Taken video. So I wouldn't be surprised if... Their story has many chapters of their story have been written out, and just not released yet. And they are planning to release them, not in chronological order, but in a disjointed way, so that us as viewers and listeners can feel just as confused and determined to solve the puzzle of it all as the members themselves are in the story. Time travel can be a really cool story element to keep people engaged and feeling like a part of the detective mission and can help people relate to the sense of confusion the main characters are dealing with. We know just as much as they do. Our guesses are as good as theirs. So expect a lot of Easter eggs going forward, constant nods back to the woods, and any eventual return to the woods or other dark environments as the focal point will be from the past. That's my theory, but of course I will continuously update it to add new content to the monologue and the story as a whole. Spoiler alert, this release will definitely be on my best of October list and episode. So I will talk more about this specific new album on that episode and in that edition of my newsletter, howtostand.substack.com. But I will just say, I highly recommend this new album, Dimension Dilemma, not just because it's very well made, their production really is top of the line, but also because the rise and fall of it adds to the cinema of it all. It has a chill guitar tune, but then it the energy goes up, it goes up even more, and then goes back down to a more laid back tune. It's quite a roller coaster trackless placement is just perfect. Those are my thoughts and theories for now. Follow for more on Enhyphen in just a few weeks on the show. Thank you all as always for listening, and I will talk to you all again super soon.